do you react and act like today? Now, it's easy to act like a Christian, but how do we react? That's the decisions we're going to be talking about right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Word of God. The Bible, that's what we call it, and we believe this to be a unique book that it's the most sold book around the world. Now, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at King David from a historical perspective. So taking a look at some of the archeological remains and artifacts related to his life. Ryan? Today, my focus is on Psalm 19, which gives us a beautiful presentation of both general and special revelation. More on that a little bit later on. Wow, Psalm 19, excellent, very good. Well, Janice, what are you doing? Today, it's called Tried, and tested. All right, take your Bible guide out. Let's find out what God is speaking to us. The Bible, the most important book of all, as we learn what God has said. Psalm 26, verses 1 through 12. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord, I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wonderful works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. Psalm 26, verses 1 through 12. Well, this is Psalms 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28. Another group of Psalms which is great to listen to and to read. You know, every day we make decisions about who or what we worship. We do. How we choose indicates whether we serve the Lord or not whether that is in one or all areas of our life. And most of these decisions are not really big ones and can even be passing thoughts. The way we follow Jesus Christ is how we live. Life is not something in which we make major decisions daily, but how we conduct our actions and our reactions. Now, actions are easy to manipulate. People act like a Christian and they're easy to control, but reactions are not. David, for instance, wrote psalms that were to be sung on a regular basis, which built in him self-control. The Apostle Paul speaks about this as well. 
when he says we should take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. For David, self-control was had by singing this music on a daily basis and allowing the Spirit of God to minister to us. We also have the opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit to teach ourselves the way Christ would act and react in any given situation. Now, this is amazing. As we begin to focus on this particular passage of scripture, I would like you to take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have one, we'll send it to you for write to us or call us. But, you know, Psalm 26 is important to remember. And as we do that, let me just say that uh, you can also go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And it'll take you to a page where you can download the guide uh, so that you get it just like it's printed. It's absolutely wonderful. So you can do that overseas. Or you can do that wherever you want to. Choose the Lord. Father, I pray today. Now, we know that, we, <laughs> we know that actions can be controlled and manipulated. In fact, I've done much of that. But Lord, reactions, reactions are harder. We react on the road, Lord. We react when somebody cuts us off. We react when somebody gets on our way. We, we react when people take things from us. Help us, Lord, to listen to your word and help us to hear you. Help us to tune our hearts to you every single day. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, all of us, amen and amen. Now, amen means make it so. So let's look at the scripture and discover what Psalms 26 tells us. Look at verse one. Vindicate me, O God. Vindicate me, O Lord. For I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. The psalmist says, I've trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. And I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. This is our desire. You see, David chose to, this is important, listen carefully. David chose to surround himself with God's word and those who follow it. He wasn't cutting himself off. You see, every day we choose who we fellowship with. Who is our friend? Who do we invest in? I want to tell you, when people came to know the Lord, and they still do, I always tell them one thing. I said, well, now this is going to change your life. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you may have to make some new friends, and you may have to do some things. And I give them challenges. One of the challenges to make Christian friends. Fellowship. Very, very important and very interesting in today's world. All right, let's go on to chapter 26, verses 6 through 8. I will wash my hands in incense, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Now that brings me to this point. Keep in mind, David chose to surround himself 
in the glory of God. Now, notice I said he surrounded himself in the glory of God. Every day we choose what to listen to and what to watch. On television, on the internet, on radio, on whatever, on magazines or whatever we're reading on the internet, and many people in social media. Choose what you watch. Now, the the danger of social media is fascinating because when you say you like something, then they're going to send everything to you about that. So keep in mind that you're not manipulating yourself. They're manipulating you when you make decisions on the computer. Keep that in mind. Take control of what you watch and how you watch it. That becomes very important, especially today. Now let's go on because the scripture gets even better. 29, 9, or 26, 9 to 12. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. What a great prayer today in social media. In whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. Now listen carefully to this because this is what David said. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. That's amazing, beloved. David knew that God would keep and establish him if he followed the Lord. We must always pay attention and stay close and follow the Lord. Let me tell you something. Following the Lord, I've discovered this. I've got to decide where I put my place, my feet. And if I'm anchored in the foundation of God's word and people who love God's word, that's a good place for me to stay. Number one, I learn more. Number two, I'm focused. And so when when the waves and the storm comes along and the boat begins to go, the anchor holds it in place, holds it in place. Very important. We've got a lot of things going on in the world, a lot of uh, difficulties, and everybody's wondering what's going on. But if you're a Christian and you're anchored in God's word and you read Revelation 19 and you read Matthew 24, you understand exactly what's happening. I did a sermon on that, Matthew 24. We need to understand that God is doing something very specific today. He's allowing things to happen very specifically so that people call on his name. Now, my question to you is simple. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Are you living like you should? I want to say to you that it's only God who can help you. Nobody can help you, but God helps you. He finds your friends for you. He does the right thing. You say, how do I meet God? You come through Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I believe. You pray and say, Lord, I believe you died on the cross. We killed you. But three days later, you rose from the dead. And I give you my life. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to find the friends I need and the people I need. I'm going to stay in your word every day. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
Today's reading is Psalms 24 to 28, but I want to go back to Psalm 19, which we read over the weekend, because in this psalm, there's a beautiful presentation of both general revelation and special revelation and how they are similar, but also different. Now, revelation is just a fancy term for God's revealing of truth to us. But if you've never heard the terms general and special revelation before, then this segment should help. Let's study. Although Albert Einstein's theories of general and special relativity were very important developments in our understanding of how the universe operates, infinitely more important is God's unveiling of himself through both general and special revelation. That is, revelation through creation, as well as revelation through his word, the Bible. One of the places in scripture these two modes of revelation are beautifully displayed is in Psalm 19. In fact, in this psalm, there's a very clear division between verses 1 to 6 and verses 7 to 14, which are, by design, placed in juxtaposition in order to compare and contrast general and special revelation. It begins first with a presentation of general revelation, with those majestic and unforgettable words, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The second part begins with an equally memorable declaration regarding special revelation, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. According to this psalm, both modes of revelation are legitimate ways in which God reveals himself, and that is how they are similar. However, as their differences reveal, special revelation is clearly greater than general revelation. For one thing, while general revelation only provides general information about God, the special and written revelation of God's word gives us the specific information we need to know God. So general revelation might awe us with knowledge of God, but special revelation can transform us with the very nature of God. Also, because nature speaks no words, it is naturally subjective and must be interpreted. Though perhaps not evident at first, Psalm 19 verse 3 seems to especially attest to the silent witness of creation, and of the heavens specifically. Indeed, although the New King James Version says that there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, which makes it sound as though the heavens do have a voice, the italicized word where is not present in the original Hebrew. Though added for clarity, many translators believe this word shouldn't be there. Omitting where, as the New American Standard Bible does, gives a very different read. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. In other words, the testimony of the heavens is a silent, non-verbal witness. In contrast, the Bible gives us the very words of God, dynamically transforming words. Non-verbal communication can convey information, but it lacks precision and specificity, and thus it is very easily misunderstood. A third reason special revelation is greater than general revelation is that although the scriptures are perfect and pure, the current creation is imperfect and impure because it is under God's curse. Of course, even in its current state, creation remains a legitimate mode of revelation. However, it must be subject to and interpreted in light of the authoritative scriptures. As one scholar put it, the world of the Lord is imperfect in its bondage to the curse, thus condemning the souls of men. But the word of the Lord is perfect, converting their souls. What natural revelation only promises, written revelation accomplishes. Now, it's important to understand that the general revelation of creation, while an important witness to the creator, can never be a substitute for special revelation, and it should never be considered on the same level as the special revelation of the scriptures. Because, as mentioned in the segment, 
general revelation is subjective, meaning that different people will draw different conclusions. And the creation is currently under the curse, and as such, it is imperfect. It's broken. But the Word of God is perfect and pure. That's why this idea going around that nature should be considered the 67th book of the Bible is really, really dangerous. It ultimately puts man's subjective observ observations of nature on the same authoritative level as the objective Word of God. That is to say, it puts man's opinions at the same level as the facts given to us by God in His Word. This isn't right. Instead, creation should play a ministerial role while Scripture is kept in a magisterial role. The natural world must be viewed through the authoritative lens of the Bible. I think it's important to remember that the Bible is, everything is affected by sin. So creation itself has been affected by sin. We don't That's see right. what we used to see, but mm -hmm. the Bible, the information in the Bible uh, is totally, completely unique from sin. That's what makes it yeah. holy. Absolutely. And uh, so we have to keep that in mind. That's a very, very important difference. Corey? All right. Well, since we are studying and reading in the Old Testament book of Psalms, I wanted to focus in on uh, the historical side of King David, because he is one of the main claimed authors for the book of Psalms. And, you know, when we're talking about the kings of Israel and Judah, there are quite a few of these kings that are historically established. So that means that there are mentions of them outside of the scripture. There's not a lot of um, monumental remains. There's pretty much no monumental remains in terms of inscriptions that the kings of Israel would have commissioned or things like that. But references, specific references to kings of Israel and Judah do come from enemy nations that had battles and skirmishes and wars with Israel and Judah. But David is really a big fish here. He was the second king of Israel. He established so much, uh, you know, in Israel. Without him, there probably wouldn't have been a temple in Jerusalem. He is credited with writing the book of Psalms, a big chunk of scriptural, um, you know, many books of the Bible or a few books of the Bible. There's a lot of space dedicated to talking about David's life. So let's take a look at what some of the archaeological and historical evidence for King David David actually existing are. That King David existed as a historical person was settled in the 1990s. The discovery of the partial remains of a monumental stella at Tel Dan, the first fragment in 1993 and the second in 1994, coincided with a re-examination of another stella called the Mesha inscription or Moabite stone. Both monuments were erected by enemies of Israel and Judah, and both mention the royals of Judah as belonging to the House of David. In a phrase like House of David, the house is not a literal building, but is metaphorical, referring to the dynasty of a founding father, the descendants of an establishing king. Famously, the Bible records that God promised to build David a house, again, meaning a lineage, not a physical palace. The Tel Dan Stella is named for the city it was discovered in. We know it today only in part from those fragments found in secondary use in the early 90s. Scholars deduce from its contents and age that it was written by Hazael of Damascus, an Aramean king of the city-state of Damascus that's featured heavily in the Bible and had great success warring against Israel and Judah. 
the inscription commemorated his victories over Israel and Judah and would have stood in the gate of Dan for decades until the city was recaptured by Israel's King Jehoash and likely at that point smashed into its fragments and reused as building materials. Its fragments today record whole, partial, and implied names of several biblical kings and lists the kings of Judah as of the house of David. The House of David is also referred to in the Mesha inscription that records the same event from a different perspective as 2 Kings chapter 3. This inscription was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, enemy of Israel and Judah, at that time ruled by Joram and Jehoshaphat. The inscription also mentions Omri, verifies that Chemosh was the Moabite national deity, and several other elements of Moabite culture mentioned in the scriptures. Interestingly, there's also a disputed mention of David's name recorded in a victory inscription of Pharaoh Shishak, who attacked Judah during the reign of David's grandson Rehoboam. This Egyptian inscription refers to a portion of Judah as the Heights of David. There are also several lines of physical evidence for David's kingdom to be found in archaeological data from the 10th century BC. In a newly released study, scholar Josef Garfinkel brings together excavation reports and archaeological surveys from four sites to argue that evidence for a centralized government in Judah during David's reign can be demonstrated. Garfinkel believes that the core of David's kingdom began with four cities before expanding ever outwards, a picture that melds well with the biblical account. Garfinkel's excavations also revealed evidence for the architectural style of Solomon's temple in the form of a small shrine and for the Bible's record of King Rehoboam's building activities. So there we go, really cool remains that testify to David's existence, not only as a dynasty founder, but as a king that really helped centralize Israel's government and, and push her forward in you know, her statehood. What's amazing is we're gonna meet David too at the time when we go to heaven, when we're all in heaven. And so it's gonna be fascinating. Uh, anyway, Janice. Yes, and you know what? Oftentimes, as we're reading through the Bible, we sometimes can forget that these are real people with real emotions, just, just like you and I. So it's easy to kind of project our, um, oh, how could they do this? Or how could they react this way? Um, when we can forget that they're real people. David was a real person, and he's asking um, God to vindicate him and redeem him. And it almost sounds uh, almost a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And yet David is coming to God, not because he thinks that he is sinless, but because of a sense of security that comes from a life that's lived to follow after God and his ways. None of us is sinless, that's for sure. And we have no excuse to sin once we come to God. We must turn away from that. So let me make myself very clear right off the top. We can't just say, well, I was born that way, and so I'm just going to continue to live that way if we know it is against uh, what God has called us, how God has called us to live. So David says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. So his security comes from knowing that he is walking after God. He is following after the ways of God. Then he is very brave when he says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. 
try my mind and my heart. And he has this confidence knowing that when he comes to God, that God will bring correction. God will bring that into his life if need be. And he has confidence in God's nature because this is how he answers. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. This is David talking about God. Your loving kindness is before my eyes. And again, he says, and I have walked in your truth. This is so important. This this idea of walking in God's ways and having that confidence in God's loving kindness that if he brings correction to us, will we make that decision? Are we moldable in the hands of God to be able to humbly say, yes, I am not going in the right direction. I don't think the way you think, God. Please help me to change. And you know what? God will. Um, There's another beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorites, Psalm 139, and it's talking about God's perfect knowledge of man. And at the very end of Psalm 139, again, David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, try me and know my anxieties. So he's not claiming that he doesn't have anxieties, that he doesn't have things that are going on. In fact, he is admitting them to God because God already knows where our hearts are at. God knows what we fear. God knows what makes us anxious. And he said, don't do that. Bring them to me. So again, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And listen to this and see if there is any wicked way in me. And does he end there? No, he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. God's mercy is everlasting. God is everlasting. When we give our life to the Lord, we get in return forgiveness of sins. And as we give our life, we turn away from that sin and we turn towards God and we get the gift of eternal life. That eternal life means that when we pass from this life, we are in the presence of God and we will be with him forever. That is the way when we live a life in repentance and we live in an openness to God. Friends, dear ones, God already knows our heart. We can't hide. There's nowhere to hide from the living God, the almighty God. So don't hide. He says, come to me, come to me. And then when we find out if our life isn't lining up with his word, are we moldable? Are we changeable in the hands of God? I hope and pray that I am. And I do ask the Lord to help me every day And we're not perfect, but we do have that security in God because his loving kindness and his ways are always before us if we allow them to be. As we close the program today, we pray, Lord, help me to hear and to pay attention to you as I read your word, as I read the Bible. Help me to do that, Lord, and not just read it, but help me to understand it too, Holy Spirit, that's you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now remember, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Bible Discovery TV at 3.30 to 4.30 with a prayer meeting. Join us there, that's Eastern time. It's New York time, and we'll see you.